0: Hey, Chad. Hey, Mike. So Nobel Prizes were just announced this last week. How'd you do? Did you clean up? No, they they skipped me over this year again.
1: Oh, they missed you again. Okay. Yeah. Well, keep at it, buddy. Thank you.
0: But the prize for physics was actually shared amongst three people. Alain Aspect, John Klauser, and Anton Zellinger all for doing experiments in quantum mechanics. Mm. But specifically, John Klauser, we talked about his work a few years ago because he talked about the violation of Bell inequalities, which Einstein would have called spooky action at a distance. Mm. And so (laughs) then I was reminded that we had an episode from 2018 in which we talked about this exact effect. Mm -hmm. We had a special guest star, Joelle Murray, one of my colleagues, and she came in and talked about Klauser's work. Mm -hmm. And I didn't totally remember, but I I think I was still skeptical because this is, it's a subtle argument and I I still don't totally understand it. But I'm in good company because, you know, I've got Einstein didn't like it (laughs) (laughs) and a few other people. And after the Nobel Prizes were announced, she was taunting me saying like, well, now I've got a Nobel Prize winner also, you know, so.
1: (laughs) Can I tell you something that happened at my breakfast table this morning? Yep. Apropos of nothing this morning, my... 11-year-old. she says, hey, daddy, I learned in school yesterday that there's this physician who did some research and found out something about how if you don't actually observe something, then it might not actually exist. And I was like, what? Physician? And I said, and then it dawned on me. And I was like, wait a minute. Do you mean a physicist? <laughs> and she's like, oh, yeah, physicist. And she said, and he won the Nobel Prize for it. And I was like, oh, I think I know what you're talking about is it about spooky action and she's like yeah something about spooky (laughs) And and i was like oh my god you know what i think we're getting ready to
0: introduce that episode and replay it so we thought it would be a perfect time also being halloween that we would replay this episode about spooky action at a distance with our colleague joelle murray sounds great Inville, Oregon, this is Crisscrossing crossing Science, the podcast that is a linear interpolation between entertaining and informative. I'm Michael Crosser, next to me is Chad Tilberg. and today's title is Spooky Action at a Distance. Distance. Hey, Chad. Distance.
2: Distance. <laughs>
0: Distance. Oh, uh, well, hi, Mike. So, this is a special Halloween episode, because we're talking about quantum mechanics and things that go bump in the night. Yeah, or like bump around in my brain a little bit.
3: Yeah, that's pretty accurate.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so we brought a special guest star into the studio today, Dr. Joel Murray, who is a professor of physics here at Linfield College. And so welcome, Joel.
3: Thank you. Hi, guys. Yeah. Just good to have you, of... Joel. <laughs> it's good to be here. I feel very honored to have been invited.
0: You know, Joel definitely has a, like an NPR voice. Oh, <laughs> <Yeah>. really? <laughs> Mellow tones of like... Oh. <laughs>
3: Well, I think a lot of those NPR people are from the Midwest, so I think there's something uh, okay. Midwestern about their voice, maybe.
0: So, Joel, can you get us started? What What is quantum mechanics? When does it arise? What's going on with all that?
3: That is a big question. That's a huge topic, and to talk about it to just sort of sum up what it is is a lot harder than you think it should be. <laughs> I guess you know we can start by saying that quantum mechanics is. What we have essentially when classical mechanics stops working. Most everything that we experience day to day, throwing balls, driving our car, all that other stuff, we would say is described pretty well by classical mechanics. But then when we start getting particularly like smaller and smaller and smaller systems and we start getting down to submicroscopic, microscopic, down to atomic level stuff. Classical mechanics doesn't work. It doesn't describe those systems anymore. And so quantum mechanics is what takes over.
1: Why does classical mechanics stop working?
3: That's an awesome question because we don't really have an answer for that question. One of the areas in more recent years is really trying to figure out where that boundary is between classical and quantum. Where do quantum systems start behaving classically? Because the idea is that they can't be completely unconnected theories, right? At some point, they have to meet up. And the goal would be to have something that encompasses both of them. But right now, that doesn't exist.
1: So classical mechanics is not simply scaled up quantum mechanics.
3: Certainly that is in line with how physicists might like to be able to see it, but in no way do we have a formalism for doing that, okay. right? So the boundary between the two is, we don't understand that.
0: It is true that when we're talking about only a handful of atoms, they can behave weirdly sometimes. But when you have billions and billions and billions and right. billions, you may have a few that are acting weirdly, but it's hard to notice. So, so the bulk of them are behaving in a, a nice predictable manner and so then you're not noticing the weirdness right
3: and then you're approaching classical size systems where classical physics effectively does do a decent job of describing things
1: okay so then what this word quantum what are mm-hmm. we talking about
3: like why is it yeah. quantum
1: yeah what are the quanta that's we're quantifying
3: i mean there's Numerous things. It's not necessarily just one thing, but I think one of the features is that in classical systems, all the things that we might measure or observe, most of those things are sort of described by what we call continuous physics, meaning that the functions that you know we would use to describe the trajectory of a ball or something like that, it's a continuous function. Okay. Meaning it's smooth, doesn't have any sharp corners or steps in it or anything, right? It's, it's a smooth function. Okay. And in quantum mechanics, things like energy. In quantum mechanics, there are, like, say, the energy levels of an atom. Those are not continuous. There's only discrete quantized energies that that system can have. Okay, and so, so it's no longer a continuum of possible energies.
1: Okay. So things come in discrete quantities. Yes, yes. Okay.
3: So like energy might be an example. And then there's numerous other things that are quantized.
1: Okay. That makes sense. And so if you've zoomed in far enough, we're getting down to such a zoomed in level that, I, I mean, are we getting down to the point where things start to no longer be divisible? Anymore?
3: I mean, you could. You zoom down to the atomic level, right? But we know atoms have other stuff in them, right? right. That there's electrons, there's the nucleus, and that you drill down further into the nucleus and it's got other stuff in it. It's got neutrons and protons. And then you drill down even further and neutrons and protons have stuff in them, too. Currently, the stuff that's in neutrons and protons, we think like you can't drill down any further than that. Those are the quarks and gluons that you may have heard of. Right. At least currently, we can't drill down anything smaller than those. That's what we would call the fundamental particles. Can't get anything smaller than those things.
1: Okay. These are the so-called subatomic particles.
3: Call them fundamental particles. Fundamental particles. particles. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They have all sorts of crazy names.
1: So what do they do that is weird? Then you just you guys said, well, they start
0: behaving weird.
3: Uh, Mike well, said that word, and it's funny I, that you said it. That it is funny that I said that because that, that's he hates I, that. I
0: detest that. Yeah. Oh, because if you watch any like science programs about physics, they're always talking about how quantum is so weird. And I'm not going to go off into a a rant here, but you can I'm edit surprised. it out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But that's something that hopefully today we can build up some intuition for our listeners to understand where this is actually coming from and not just be like, you can't possibly understand it. It's just so weird.
1: I already understand the idea of quanta and quantum, why it's called that better.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Feeling good. So most physicists do think about it that way. Mm-hmm. But if we could get some intuition about what's happening on the small scale, it does make sense. I mean, what's important in science is that we can model reality. Mm-hmm. We can do an experiment, we can reproduce those experiments, it's all reproducible and we can model what it is that we're seeing. And quantum mechanics does very well with that. Uh-huh. But being able to make a cartoon to sort of describe and wave your hands it's about this is why this works is very hard for us to do. And so that's why a lot of physicists talk about it the way that they do.
3: At least I look at it this way. Our everyday experience with the world around us is inherently classical. And So whether we're aware of it or not, that shapes our intuition about how things are. You know, at that subatomic level, classical physics does not describe what's happening there. And so it's really hard to get an intuitive picture of why that would be that way.
0: Could you maybe describe an experiment to... Illuminate what you're talking about, like interference, slit. Yeah.
3: So we're describing a common experiment that gets talked about in the context of quantum mechanics. Is you have some board that has two small slits in it, and in the intro course to physics, in the part where we talk about optics, the sort of classical realm, you know, you shine light at these two slits, stuff happens, and you see what's called an interference pattern on the screen behind you.
2: Thing. Okay,
1: I think I remember this from uh, college physics and maybe high school right. physics. Where what's on the back side of that, on the sheet after the light going through the mm-hmm. the, the double slits, is like a banding pattern of light dark right. light dark light dark. Right. Is that? Yeah. Am I thinking yeah. of the That's
3: right experiment? Exactly it. Yeah. Okay. That's exactly it.
0: And in a classical way, you would not expect it to do that. You'd expect maybe just a an even distribution. Maybe it's brighter in the middle, but just kind of fading away on the sides. Uh
3: But when you're shining light through those two slits, I think you can make sense of it by thinking about light as a wave. Right. And we already kind of think about light as a wave like that doesn't feel like a quantum description of light that feels like a pretty natural classical kind of description of light.
0: Could we go back? Could we give like a quick sort of real world examples of properties of waves interfering? Mm -hmm. Like maybe maybe just talk about like splashing water. It's so
3: hard because that's such a visual. As soon as you see it, you know, I have like a video that I show my students where like some guy is poking the water surface. And when you do one you see just circles, Mm -hmm. a wave, but just like you see sort of circles just emanating from the point that you're poking at the surface. So when he has two that are close enough to each other, individually they have these circles emanating out from the place where he's poking. But since they're close enough, you see interference between those two sets of circles. And so you're saying
0: like when... One of these rings runs into the other. It makes a really tall wave.
3: Right. So that you see evidence of like taller wave or no wave because the maximum of one wave has combined with the minimum of another. And so you end up with no disturbance.
0: So you're saying this is interference and this is like all waves do that.
3: Right. That's a feature of waves.
0: But that's not. We would not expect that with, say, particles or something just bouncing around. We would, we would think of particles like a billiard table or something. Like
3: right. That. Exactly. Exactly. Okay.
0: Cool. We had talked about this two slits with light. Let's say you do a similar experiment with electrons. You get a, the same pattern basically. Okay. As you do with the light. What if we just shoot one electron at a time? But if we collect the data and say, okay, it would hit here this time, and hit here this other time, and hit and add that up, we still get the same pattern as if of all these dark spots and bright spots and things like that. So you're sending a single electron at the double slit, and
1: each time the electron passes through the double slit, all of those places pick it up on the detector? It hits
3: the screen, right? Uh Like, you know, one electron comes through, it hits the screen in a spot. You send another one through, it hits the screen maybe in another spot, and you collect all those spots, you know, that all the single electrons you've sent through where they hit. And there's your diffraction pattern.
1: Okay. But any single electron is only going to hit one
0: spot. Yeah. On, it's not going to. On but, the detector. But it's sort of like you're shooting a BB gun and you're leaving dents in the wall. Uh huh. Right. Yeah. And so the pattern is left so behind. So the, the pattern behind is still interfering. It still, still has some spots that are pristine, have never been hit by a BB. Okay. And some spots that have just been bombarded a lot. But a single BB is only making a
1: single dent. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes
3: cuz that's so hard to describe without like the picture like as soon as you see it you're like oh yeah it makes a Did lot that, of sense.
1: Yeah, I think so and so the fact that electrons also do that. Right. Yeah, sum up with each other or cancel each other out makes them seem wave like. Yes. Yeah.
2: Okay.
3: So that double slit experiment when you're shining light through it, it just sounds like okay, it's a wave, it's interfering with one another and you get these peaks and troughs, right? So it feels like you can just think about that experiment just with waves and light, which is fine and not at all quantum. But then the issue is you can also do that same double slit experiment, but you can do it with an elect you can do it with electrons. Okay. And you get the same kind of interference pattern.
1: So does that imply that electrons are waves?
3: So that's one or two of kind of the central tenets of quantum mechanics is that things that we would normally think of and call particles, like an electron, that they have wave properties. They behave like waves in certain instances, in certain kinds of experiments. And then in other experiments, they behave like particles. We call that particle-wave duality. Okay. They have both sets of features depending on what situations you put them in. And that light also has this particle wave duality. It's a wave like we sort of would normally think of it, but then it also has particle properties in certain experiments in certain situations.
1: Can you give me an example of when uh, you would detect the activity of photons acting as a particle?
3: Photons carry momentum. Uh Right. They can essentially like, you know, kick electrons out of atoms and stuff like that. So in one particular important experiment that sort of led to the development of quantum mechanics, it was one of in a series of experiments, something called Compton scattering, where they shine light seen as photons these individual particles onto a surface and it scatters light scatters off that surface but also maybe kicks off an electron or something like that and that basically you can kind of treat it like at least the calculation largely just looks like a billiard ball calculation where light is one of the billiard balls
2: and
3: you just Treat it exactly like a billiard ball problem that you would do in intro to mechanics in the first semester.
1: So that sounds classical.
3: But inherently in there, the only way you can do that is if that light has these particle-like properties. Okay. Which you wouldn't normally expect. Classically, you wouldn't expect light to behave that way.
0: Mm Okay. Right, and so our intuition is that we want to think of light as a wave, and our intuition is then we want to think of like these subatomic particles as particles, as little right. billiard balls or BBs or something like that running into each other. And, so, and the only way to kick off one of these electrons, using this, this experiment, the only way to make that happen would be if it were hit by something finite right. like a, a billiard ball. But then similarly, going the other direction, is what led to quantum mechanics of saying, well, these particles, like these electrons, we expect them to just be little BBs that we're shooting across the room, but they also behave like a wave. We can get them to interact with each other and have dark spots and bright spots and things like that.
3: So historically, the idea of light acting like a particle came first or light being quantized or calling it a photon like it's a single thing as Mm -hmm. opposed to this amorphous wave that that idea came first and then, what is it? I always mess up his name. De Broglie?
0: De Broglie?
3: You pronounce the G? Isn't it Uh, French?
0: Well, then it would be De Broglie.
3: I always thought it was like De Broglie? No, that's totally wrong. De Broglie? I think it's De Broglie. That's how it's spelled. Is de Broglie. Yeah. But anyway, when he was a graduate student, he basically was reading these papers, I'm guessing, and saying, well, people are saying light is like a particle. Well, I wonder if particles act like waves. And he proposed what are known as the de Broglie postulates, basically saying that electrons also have a wavelength and positing all these properties of electrons, these wave properties. And apparently he was getting a lot of pushback. People were saying, like, dude, that's nuts. You shouldn't do it or something. But he did it anyway. And obviously turned out to be a good call on his party. ended up getting a Nobel Prize or something at some point and ended up being, we were able to verify and measure the wavelength and all that kind of stuff. So I think that idea of like, I don't know, I'm always fascinated by that. Like how would they come up with that? But that seems almost natural. Like if people are telling you light light acts like a particle, you know, I wouldn't have expected that, that it might seem reasonable to go, hmm, I wonder if particles act like waves. At least that's the story I tell myself. Okay. <laughs> so maybe it's totally not true, but I've just made it up. It seems like a nice story. I don't know. That's fair. That <laughs> yeah. it almost seems natural that you yeah. might ask that.
1: Do you think somebody would have who had like more time in the field would have been able to be that open minded and have reached that intuition? Yeah. Or do you think being still sort of at the beginning of the field and a novice let him He let his mind wander in directions that people with a more channelized training wouldn't have even thought to explore.
3: I like that idea. I mean, I think I certainly talk about it that way with my students and that they shouldn't be automatically dismissive of their questions or their ideas about these sort of things because they're not burdened by too much information, right? They can really think about these things in ways that People who have been thinking about these things yeah. just aren't capable of anymore. I think that fits nicely yeah. with the narrative that I imagine yeah. in my head. <laughs> I suppose that's not to
1: say that all ideas are equally good.
3: True. <laughs> True. It would be interesting to hear, like, what kind of crazy ideas people came up with at the time that ended up just like, that's ridiculous. Huh. You know, we don't even, we're not talking about that one ever again. Yeah. It is interesting, just as an aside. So the whole multiverse thing, the whole, I mean, everybody's heard of multiverse, whether they understand what the heck it's talking about. That's one of those ideas. It did get proposed a super long time ago. Uh-huh. And everybody was like, that guy's kind of nuts. This that's dumb. dumb. That <laughs> yeah. sounds crazy. Yeah. And then it keeps coming back. Yeah. And people keep liking that idea. And so it keeps coming back.
1: Yeah. The, the narrative mm-hmm. possibilities of that are just, oh, that's gold. Yeah.
3: In, in the physics community. That idea comes back. This is maybe like six or seven years ago. Somebody wrote like a review article where they went to some big physics conference. So there's these competing interpretations that compete with the multiverse one. But anyway, they asked physicists at this conference and a significant, I don't remember, it was like forty percent of the people that he surveyed said, Yep, I think it's the multiverse interpretation.
0: So so to clarify here, yeah, the the models, the mathematical models make sense they're all the same they can all predict the same things they're all saying the same things but then it's sort of the how do you make sense of the mathematical models that that's where you come up with this
3: the interpretation of so like the mathematic you know the model that we compare to like actual experiments actual measurements we're like that works that's that's good you know that predicts this but there's sort of consequences of some of these features of the model that people are compelled to sort of say, like, what does that really mean? Does that really mean this? So that that interpretation part of what does this really mean, Mm -hmm. that's where there's a bunch of different interpretations of quantum mechanics. The many worlds or the multiverse one is is just one of them. So I think how I sort of think about that is that when you're sending the electron at the two slits... That's a wave-like experiment. That's an experiment that you would expect something particular to happen with a wave. And so those are the properties you see. You see wave properties. But then when you interrupt the electron with a screen, that's like a particle kind of measurement. So that's why it only hits like in one spot, right? And so I guess that how I think about it is like if you are trying to observe wave properties of something, you observe wave properties, <laughs> right? If your experiment is designed to look at wave properties, that's what you observe. And if your experiment or your your observation is getting at particle properties, that's what you observe.
1: And is that because it's both?
3: I don't think anybody really ever says, yes, it's both at the same time. I... Always think of it as, you know, you say something nebulous like it's got particle wave duality, (laughs) right, which really doesn't answer the question. And I think I know I'm that kind of physicist that I'm I'm sort of more willing to say I wouldn't ask that question because I don't know if what it would mean to be both. Hmm. I only know what happens when I do a wave experiment or I do a particle-like ex- measurement. And so, like, what it is before I make that measurement or outside of making that measurement, I have no idea. Hmm. So, it's not anything, I guess. I don't know.
1: <laughs> is this one of those situations where you don't know what it is until you measure it kind of thing?
3: I think physicists dis- disagree on that. I think Mike and I disagree on that. Oh. I. have I tend to fall in the camp that is often termed, I think, the agnostic camp, where I just don't think it's really anything because I don't have any way of knowing what it is at that point. So I just say, hmm, I don't know. And don't worry about
0: it. Okay. Mike? Yeah, we've been having a lot of discussions, (laughs) been arguing about this for weeks now. (laughs) Actually, (laughs) it started in the spring, yeah. I was
3: going to say, this argument has been going on because it started this spring with one of our students who graduated this last spring.
0: Yeah, because I described something to the student, and then she found a paper that that was like, no, you're wrong. And somebody led her into (laughs) my office and used used my magic stamp.
3: We used your stamp, which says, what does it say?
0: I'm embarrassed for you. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) so uh
3: so we've been arguing about this for a while okay yeah okay so and
1: so and so would you argue then that just because we haven't measured something yet doesn't influence whether it it's properties i don't know if i'm asking that correctly but
0: so my take would be more that we don't know enough details about it that some of the things that seem strange i would argue come from the fact that we don't see everything that's going on. Like we may set up our experiment in such a way that we assume that we've got nicely behaving electrons shooting somewhere. But in reality, maybe they're, they're coming off at different angles and we've, we've tried to fix that to get them back into a nice bundle. But the starting parameters is a little bit different. So like I give the analogy that I think of this like magic where a magician is doing stuff and getting you to focus on the right hand, but it's really their left hand where they're, they're actually swapping something out. Okay. And so because you're f- so focused on the wrong thing that it looks like it's magical happening.
3: What you're describing to me sounds a lot like what Einstein and his collaborators Podolsky and Rosen, Einstein did not like quantum mechanics. He thought it was bad. And this was one of his problems was, you know, sort of what you're describing that it really doesn't do this weird Spooky thing that we think that it really is that we have incomplete information about the system and there are some variables or some information that's hidden from us. Okay. And so it's not that quantum mechanics is wrong. It's that it's incomplete it's missing information this is einstein's argument this is einstein this okay. is yeah yeah so okay. he along with these uh, with podolsky and rosen wrote proposed something called the epr paradox to try to highlight what he thought was wrong with quantum
0: and so the argument would be that we're not able to start paying attention to it until much later in the process and so it right. it looks strange but
3: it's because we didn't know we, d- we didn't have access to that information. Yeah. But it's really there, but we just didn't have access to it. Okay. His thought experiment this is the one that people talk about now when they talk about his, that paradox. So imagine you have some particle, something called a pion, and it decays into two photons shooting out from the, the pion. Okay. So the idea is those photons are somehow entangled. Okay, and these photons are somehow connected because they were once together in the pion but they because I don't know if I want to explain what spin is
0: well so let's imagine we've got twin brothers and when they pop out of the womb one is always left-handed one's always right-handed
3: oh this could work but you don't know which brother is left-handed or right-handed but you know one of them has to be left-handed and the other one has to be right-handed Okay. Like, that's like a requirement.
0: Yeah, so we've got identical brothers. So we can't, just looking <laughs> at them, we can't tell them apart. They're in a room, and we open the doors. One runs out this way, one runs out the other way. The only difference is that one's left-handed, the other's right-handed. But you don't know that until you they get to a chalkboard, and you ask them to write their name or something like that. Okay. They're like, oh, okay, you're the right-handed one. Then you immediately know that the other one must be left-handed. Yes. Boom, boom. Okay.
3: So... Their problem with that scenario is that suppose the brothers, as they're running out of the room, they can go super fast, essentially, and they are like, you know, light years apart Okay. before you ever ask one of them to write on the board. Okay. So that basically the idea is that even though they're light years apart, as soon as you sort of determine that one of them is right-handed, you know that the other one is left-handed.
1: Okay. But in this analogy, it seems like they were right-handed and left-handed from the start, right?
3: Right. Which is part of... The issue, and that's basically what Einstein, what the EPR paradox is suggesting, is saying. That's not that. That's not that spooky, right? Because yeah, I of was of course not... that guy was right-handed at the beginning, and the other guy was left-handed at the beginning.
1: Yeah, I was not spooked out by that.
3: Right, okay. and and that's basically what Einstein was saying is that it's just this from the beginning. That guy was right-handed. That guy was left-handed.
1: And so, just because we didn't happen to know, doesn't, that doesn't... mean that that. Information wasn't there. Except, it doesn't mean that
3: that didn't exist, that they weren't right handed and left handed in the beginning. It just meant we didn't have access to that information. Okay. So, this was all just like a thought experiment. And so, it took a while before people were actually able to make actual experiments to try to test some of these ideas. But in the meantime, this other guy. Bell said, well, this is true, if there really are these hidden variables. He did this statistical calculation, like trying to sort of say, if there really are these hidden variables, we should still be able to say certain things about the probabilities of these events. And so he comes up with these limits on the probabilities of measuring different versions of these events. And these are called Bell's Inequalities which basically says the probabilities of these things happening should be should be less than this thing. And then a little bit later, they actually come up with experiments to try to test these Bell's inequalities. And so far, they're still testing them. I think the most recent ones came out in uh, maybe 2016, even. Mm-hmm. So they're still trying to do these tests. And so far, it's like Bell's inequalities are violated in actual experiments, which leads people to believe that there can't be hidden variables.
0: Which would suggest that when they're running out of the room, they really are both left and right-handed.
3: Or that we really don't know if they're right-handed or left-handed until one of them is measured. I really hesitate to say this, but that that they really aren't right-handed or left-handed until one of them is measured.
1: So, okay, so if I understand correctly, you've got these particles that are moving away from each other at a high rate of speed. Well, and this, their well, speed is not so important. It's okay. the fact
3: that you don't measure things until they're like far apart. They're far they're far yeah. away from each other. Yeah.
0: So that you can't yell and be like, he's right handed to <laughs> okay, to th- your friend.
1: And okay. And yeah. during this journey they have retained the ability to be either version. Uh-huh. It has not been decided yet. Right. And then when one of them is observed and now we know what it is right immediately the other version the other one is the other thing is the opposite version
3: right and so so this is i'm guessing this is where this is where this runs into trouble and why einstein called it spooky action at a distance is and and maybe it's the the word that you used immediately okay like to sort of cuz so einstein's problem was that oh when i make the measurement on this one and find out that they're right-handed that somehow you know something information something is transmitted instantaneously to the other one right yeah. and that that's what he called action at a distance like meaning somehow things could be super far apart but still this this Something is transmitted faster than the speed of light.
1: Yeah, it seems to create kind of a cause-effect problem.
3: Exactly. And so that's why he hated it.
1: And yet, nevertheless, there seem to be these experiments suggesting that that actually works.
3: Well, that that what we described happens, but that I think nobody thinks anything is being transmitted between those two objects. That's not what that says. I think that's where we wanna go when we think about how cause and effect works in the classical realm. Issues of cause and effect and the sequential nature of events and things like that, that's all jumbled up. Whoa. And that the very how we view events in space and time doesn't really work like it works up in classical realm.
1: This does mess with my head, this is hard.
3: Yeah, it is really hard.
1: Yeah, so these experiments are. I mean, this is cool that these experiments are starting to give evidence that Bell's inequalities don't hold, or right?
3: That they're violated by actual experiment, you know, which means that these hidden variables don't exist. Yes, yeah, like that's s- the implication.
1: Yeah, so the explanation left standing then is the quantum one. Mm-hmm. I assume that there are are no other leading viable candidates.
3: Not that I've heard of.
1: Okay.
3: <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there are. Yeah, I well. regularly get emails from a couple people who have some <laughs> some new, interesting, you know, theory that will blow apart physics as we know it.
1: We should be sure to include your email address. Yeah. On that. Oh god. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow
0: they
3: find me. Okay. So.
0: <laughs> cool. Well, thanks for
1: blowing our minds today. Yeah. My brain's leaking out of my ears. <laughs> yeah
3: does that
0: well thank you joelle
3: oh thank you for having me this is a lot of fun i hope i did okay and that you might invite me back someday well once this all gets sorted out remains to be seen
0: once we make the measurement we'll determine whether yeah uh, (laughs) right
3: i i was okay or whether or not yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) right (laughs) exactly
0: you're simultaneously both right now right now yeah i'll I'll, I'll try to stick with that This episode was recorded in the KSLC studios on the beautiful campus of Linfield College. Rody Ortega wrote our theme music. If you like the show, subscribe to us and you will automatically download it as soon as the latest episode becomes available. Like us on Facebook to see what we're up to. Leave us a comment and a rating on iTunes. That will help other people to find our podcast. And if you have a question or comment either about this show or if you have an idea for an entirely new episode, email us at chrisscrossingsci at gmail.com. All one word, all lowercase.